Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. show notes they have a kickstarter out there so i hope you enjoyed it uh and i hope you enjoy it when you hear it at the end of the show mr two frames yep you ever been in trouble with the law uh no convictions (laughs) aside from a simple traffic violations have you ever had to run away from cops i mean that you're willing to admit Um, given the fact that there may be students listening to this no i've never had to run away from the cops i have been interviewed by the fbi though a couple times Really? Yeah. Under what circumstances are you willing? Are you are you able to? Uh, mostly background checks for people I know. Oh, the, I had to do that too. The, they the, were going for jobs. Yeah. The last time though, they wanted to come to my place of employment, so I had to go up to the front office of our school, and the secretary there, she's like, "Can I help you?" I don't even think she recognized that I was a teacher, and I was like, "No, I'm just waiting for the FBI. They want to talk to me," and she gave me this look like, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> So I'll just go sit over there and sat down in a chair off to the side. Five minutes later, this pleasant-looking woman came in, middle-aged. She walks up to the counter and goes, Hi, I'm with the FBI. I need to talk to a uh, Mr. Two Frames. And I popped up <laughs> said, That's me. We can go back to my classroom. And the secretary looked very confused. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, so that, that's about as much trouble as I've gotten in with the law. On several levels. Yeah, what about you? You run from the law? Oh, yeah. I've had a very... <laughs> Fed a storied life. My criminal history is not public fodder. What can I admit to? What am I willing to admit to? I mean, there's Aside stuff from, from my past, murders. but I'm pretty sure the statute of limitations is expired. Yeah, I know that the sta- <laughs> that's the thing. One time we stole a, a uh, when I say we, I mean me and some friends. Imaginary. Yeah. Uh, we took a, uh, a land mover that was parked outside of a friend's house. <laughs> So it was, it was like this giant behemoth. It was the size of the house. Mm-hmm. My friend hotwired it. I felt like a drag line from Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> I like jumped on the sideboard. Yeah, let's go. Thing drives away at two and a half miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the cops got us there. Nice. They didn't catch me the other times because I was a lot smarter than they were. Um, this week, this week's movie that we're going to talk about involves two ten-year-old boys, Travis and Harrison, who decide one day to take a cop car. How far do you think they've gone? Fifty miles. I think we're almost to the woods. Put down. What? The cop car. There's no one in there. 
I know where to find you. Cop Car was directed by John Watts and co-written with him by Christopher D. Ford stars Kevin Bacon as Sheriff Kretzer. It's got these two young actors in it, James Friedson Jackson as Travis. He's the blonde-haired one. Mm-hmm. The more uh, sort of mm, he looks like bad the kid guy, from uh, Big Daddy, the Adam Sandler movie. Right, but that kid's like twenty seven now, yeah. <laughs> doing rehab. The only thing that this kid's ever been in was the Super Bowl XLVIII halftime show. So you may have you may have recognized him from that. I'm trying to think, was that the Katy Perry one? I have no idea. <laughs> the other kid is uh, Hayes Welford. Uh, he plays Harrison. He's going to be in Independence Day resurgence so mm. he's probably the more he has the more nuanced part i think his journey in the movie i think it's it's more his journey than anything else he has the more dynamic role um also has karen cameron manheim in it as a uh concerned woman now you liked her in jutopia did you know that she was in that movie <laughs> i liked anyone from jutopia you saw that movie, right? You I saw you that, that movie. Oh, I, I thought it was hilarious. No, no, it has the best uh, tagline. All right. <laughs> a, yeah. a man wants a girlfriend, so he never has to make another decision in his life, so he gets a Jewish girlfriend. <laughs> uh, and then there's uh, some other actors that will probably remain, um, and we'll have to talk about them in spoilers, I think. Because the setup for the movie, is a, it, it turns into something a little bit different than it is. In fact, I think that the two 10-year-olds being chased by a cop is more or less of something to draw you into the picture as opposed to being the important plot point. Well, what's interesting also is that this is an R-rated film. This could this could have been, from its plot premise, a PG movie, and this could have been full of slapstick and all sorts of shenanigans, right? They, they try that a little bit of times. It's like that Goonies, Goonies-esque mm-hmm sort of uh, mentality or tone. Yeah, and I think this is also trying to type or tap into the zeitgeist of like Stand By Me and other of these uh, coming-of-age type films. Yeah, have you ever run away? From, did you ever run away when you were a kid? Never ran away. I, I think did. my sister tried. Made it like halfway down the block. When she was scared, came back. When she was 25. <laughs> <laughs> I ran away when I was about these kids' age. And I stayed out until dinner time. <laughs> I came back. I hid in the ditch. For about four hours, I think. Did your parents know notice that you had run away? Probably not. They just thought you were outside playing the whole time. Yeah, probably like Jeff Hunt. Yeah, I ran away today. 
for four hours. I didn't run very far. I, I was not into running. I'm not into, I'm not into physical activities. You can probably tell looking at me. I like very early on the kids like walk across a field and one of them goes, how far do you think we've gone? 50 miles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they're, they're, they definitely have that childlike innocence in a lot of the things that they say and do. There is a, there is a problem with geography, though, in terms of uh, setting up the whole movie. If you think about the movie as a whole, there are some things that, that just aren't going to work. So they just have to go with it. Now, last week we talked about Kamiko, and uh, you were sort of upset with the ambiguity, the vague ambiguities and character motivations. This movie has a lot of that. And I'm wondering if you have the same concern. In fact, this movie is up for a Laffy Award for me for best use of ambiguity. Because right. uh, you're not really sure about some of the characters. And like, for instance, these kids run away. I mean, they don't even really say why they're running away. And yeah. then there's other things. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, that didn't really bother me. And I felt it was more like just little kids saying they're running away. I mean, to me, this was just an afternoon adventure that got out of hand. Hmm. Kevin Bacon's backstory isn't fully fleshed out. Yeah, there's we, a lot of... We uh, have clues to it. They, they, There's a lot of things that are shown, but nothing's really directly stated. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I didn't have as many problems. I felt like there was enough that I understood what was motivating these characters to make their decisions. So you didn't obviously have the same problems that you had with Kamiko. No, no. This movie has some of the same issues in terms of struggling with its tone, though. I don't never and I'm not sure if they ever really got the tone right. Although I this movie might be in my running for top ten movies of the year so far. I enjoyed this quite a bit. Um It's definitely a B level movie. Yeah, and there are some issues with the ending that we're gonna to have to talk about. Yeah. But no, I, I think the first two thirds of the film are pretty strong. I don't really have a problem with the with the whole movie. Like there there's all kinds of things that you could nitpick. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of really good things in it. One of the things is Kevin Bacon's performance. I thought he was exceptional. This might be his second best performance since Super. And I, I don't really... I mean, Kevin Bacon has been in some good movies, and he's done some good stuff. I think he's a very talented actor, very underrated. He, he's very much a workman actor. You put him in pretty much any role, and he, he does it well. He plays creepy pretty well, though. He does play <laughs> I mean, creepy in, well. in this uh, sort of dual... Mm, he has to play both the good cop and the bad cop, depending on his audience. Did you know that the voice of the dispatcher is uh, Kyra Sedgwick? Yeah, his wife. Who's been in almost every movie of his since they got married, I think. Anything that he's involved with where he's uh, like a director or producer or something. He tries to get her at least some small part in it. Yeah. I like that. I don't mind. She was pretty good in it. I mean, her role didn't ask for a whole lot, but she did everything. Yeah, I thought that, I mean, I was surprised when I found out it was just her, so. I mean, I I thought that the, their interplay was a highlight in the film, although it was very small, so maybe that's just a ridiculous comment. Yeah, um, this movie's not really playing in theaters very much. Um, pretty much if you want to see this, we should mention that you're going to have to watch it streaming, though. It's available on quite a few platforms, uh, iTunes, Amazon, Vudu, Google Play. Yeah, this movie is one of those movies that's on the cutting edge of where entertainment is headed. Mm -hmm. So, what is it, maybe a $15 million budget? If that. So, those movies may or may not ever show up in a the movie theater, mm -hmm. but they're still going to exist in this long form that you can stream. Now, I had a problem. I watched it on DirecTV, and the aspect ratio was off. Like, this, the edges of the screen were cut off, so 
like it would be normally. So I think that it was probably filmed in a wider aspect ratio than than they were putting out or than the signal that I got on DirecTV. So thinking about calling them, complaining. Huh. Uh, yeah, so like the edges of the frame are somewhat important sometimes, especially these wide vistas that they're walking through. Okay, yeah, I didn't notice the aspect ratio problem. Maybe you didn't have the problem. I did. Yeah. No. It should have been letterboxed at the top, and it wasn't top and bottom. I'm interested to see how much CGI was used in this. There's some key scenes where they needed it. I mean, and there's a lot where the kids are driving the car. And mm-hmm. I thought, are you just putting a guy in the back seat who's got remote controls and he's, like, watching a monitor to drive this car? Um, or CG him out? I don't know. Yeah. Um, the kids get in and out of the car when it's moving. And I'm just like, ooh, child labor laws. Like, how do you make that safe? Was the car running or were, like, they towing it? And then you just, you know, yeah. erase the rope. Never really thought about child labor laws but i guess it's something to consider well child actors it's hard that was one of the big problems in the first hunger games movie that they had how do you have these kids do fight scenes and stuff kill each other yeah you 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 don't want them getting hurt but you can't put stunt doubles in really for them because the proportions of a stunt double you know give away that they're an adult yeah you can't have kids and they're too big to use midgets right dwarfs Apparently they had them just holding handles of weapons a lot, and then they'd CG in the rest of the weapon, the whole blade part, huh. or you know, the sledgehammer part, whatever. Well, that doesn't have to happen in this movie because it's not it's not fantastical. But I guess you're right, running around the car, and I wonder sometimes if with those wider vistas or settings, um, if you need if where you, the director wants to have a particular shot, I wonder if it's cheaper sometimes just to do the CGI. Mm-hmm. Than it is to try to find that uh, location or do that location. There's a shot later on when it gets dark, um, without giving away too much, that the the it's a point of view shot from uh, young Harrison there, and it occurred to me that that might be CGI, sort of a cityscape kind of mm-hmm. thing. That um, you know, could be that it's cheaper just to do it as CGI as opposed to trying to find a location to cheat that thing. Yeah, so, um... I don't know. Just getting. That distance in terms of using special effects and then being able to tell if it's a special effect is is getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, I watched uh, the windows a lot when the boys were in the car and it was moving. Because a lot of times you don't actually film those scenes in a car. Right. Um, They're too noisy to shoot because you've got the motor going. It's just difficult because then you you can tell the background's changing too much from shot to shot. But I wasn't picking up on green screen there. I mean, maybe they just did a good job. I, I don't know. The other thing, filming out in a desert, you've really got to be careful with the sunlight because you can tell when the sun's moved in the sky a lot of times if you're not careful or you know, you got to watch cloud cover. It's really, really hard to shoot in a desert, just like it's really hard to shoot Kamiko in the snow because mm-hmm. anywhere you walk in the snow, you've got footprints now. So this movie uh, is set in Colorado. Which is sort of surprising. Well, it, it has Colorado license plates and yeah, the cop the cars. Counties so. from Tet that they're supposedly in is Texas. Uh, yeah, but I think that that's a. I think that the the county name is Quinlan, and I think that that's an allusion to uh, Touch of Evil. Oh, okay. That's how I saw it when the first time I saw it. I was like, oh yeah, evil cop, uh, Hank Quinlan from Touch of Evil. That can work. I think that I thought that was a. This is another one of those small touches in the movie that I was like, ah, oh, I kind of like that. Um, so the, there's the best mustache of the year award. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this nominee, Kevin Bacon, 
his mustache plays a pretty big role. He grows a nice mustache. <laughs> nice straight lines. With, I mean, the distance, he must have a preternaturally uh, wide distance between his nose and his bottom lip in order to have that much straight, long hair in a mustache. I'm just surprised by it. I was I was knocked out. Was no, like... I respect the mustache. <laughs> it's like he was carrying a small puppy under his nose. As someone, movie. my mustache is pretty weak. I can't grow a real good mustache as part of my beard. Do you think it was a, a true mustache, or do you think that they faked it in there? I mean, CGI'd in his mustache? <laughs> no, I don't think they killed a caterpillar for that mustache. <laughs> I think he grew it himself. It's very uh, impressive. What do you think of the kids? Because the opening shot rang true for me, because the like the first set of dialogue, I was like, "That's hilarious." This is something like talking about this movie. This is gonna be funny. It was funny, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, "Do I really want to spend an hour and a half with these kids, especially on the cusp of going back to school and teaching?" Yeah, but you're not teaching ten year olds. No, well, yeah, they, they probably have a larger vocabulary than some of my students. <laughs> um, and more lim- one kid has more limits on what he's willing to say yeah. than most of your students. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought that was a pretty good opening shot. I, I was pretty surprised with uh, director John Watts, you know, just overall effort on this film. And I think this is only his second feature film. He did Clown. Which was little seen. I still want to watch it, though. Been, Eli Roth I've is been... Frowny the Clown. It's had a great it. premise. A man rents a clown costume for his kid's birthday party. And he can't take it off. It won't come off. And he slowly is turning into this murderous clown. Sounds a like a Twilight Zone episode. It was originally like a short film and then uh, that Eli Roth was involved in, and then they mm-hmm. turned it into a full-length film. I haven't been able to track down a copy yet. He's attached to John Watts to the Superman reboot. Okay. Or not Superman, sorry, Spider-Man. Okay, that Yeah, that better. makes more sense. <laughs> you don't really need to reboot <laughs> Superman yet. You will well, be having to do it soon, they just announced a director for the new Superman and that movie, and then I don't know where the next Spider-Man movies uh, add in development. Yeah, well, I know uh, Spider-Man's going to be in Civil War, or Captain America: Civil War, but I don't know if they have a standalone film planned right now. Well, according to IMDb, John Watts is the director for this planned film, whatever it's going to be. It's 2017 is the release date. So wow, I mean, so they've got to get filming here pretty soon then. Because you, you probably have six to nine months of post-production. Well, I least. doubt that they're going to do an origin story. I hope not. We've already had two. Yeah. Um, this was co-written by Christopher D. Ford, who wrote the uh, the movie that you like, Robot and Frank, that I haven't seen yet. Yeah, it's a good film. Yeah, some of the writing in this is, is pretty good. Some of the some of the dialogue. There's a scene with one character where he gives him uh, a, a menacing sort of monologue that he gives to these kids. That's pretty chilling. I mean, I had to turn it down because I didn't want uh, my fiance to hear it in the other in the other room because I knew where he was headed with it, and I was like, oh, "Let me turn this down because <laughs> it's it's pretty affecting." Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's a good movie. I think people should go check it out and try to see it. I would definitely have wanted to see this in the movie theater. It's a shame that you probably can't. Yeah, I think for people who are trying to get into smaller films, the whole indie stuff, this would be a good film to start with. All right, I think that this movie deserves some spoilers. All right. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. So when Kathy Bates showed up... (laughs) (laughs) That was the weakest part of the movie. But 
the most effective shot. To it. You knew it was where she were where that was. I knew what was going to happen, and (laughs) I was kind of happy. I was thinking, how are they going to pull off this shot? Is it going to be CGI? Is it going to be like uh, the in the movie Blue Ruin? Is a similar look, which I don't mean to ruin Blue Ruin for anyone that hasn't seen that, but they pulled that off with practical effects, and kind of was waiting for that. (laughs) So yeah, that was good stuff. That whole scene is really effective as a as a suspense scene Mm -hmm. i think it's filmed like a western a lot of uh interplay between uh establishing the geography of that and then is set up really well and then there's the uh close-ups with the various characters and the people that are at play and there's a whole lot of dramatic irony talking about the scene where the um guy is hiding by the windmill Mm -hmm. and then she gets involved in order for that scene to work though you have to suspend a whole lot of disbelief in terms of like random cars driving by especially given the fact that she had seen these kids and then she recognizes this cop car and she's going to start berating yeah. the cop car and she doesn't notice kevin bacon until she's right there yeah. what i liked best about that scene was every time kevin bacon was about to get shot he kept ducking behind the kids like he would line himself up behind where oh. the kids were seated yeah yeah well that just shows what a crack creepy guy he is well and even the other guy who's taking these he shots he would have shot him out of he would have shot right through him anyway i don't think so that character is Shea, uh, played by shay winning or wingham do you recognize him he had a lot of blood on his face i thought he was steve zan at first it looked a little bit like him yeah because of the bathrobe <laughs> the bathrobe and then he just had so much blood and stuff on his face when he was in the trunk of the car well, you didn't watch Boardwalk Empire, but he was Eli, brother Eli in Boardwalk Empire, and I pointed him out in uh, Wolf of Wall Street. He was the ship captain. Remember when the ship goes mm-hmm. down? Again, we're in the spoiler section, so it's okay to spoil the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, you might recognize him most as the preacher from True Detective Season 1. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know who you're talking yeah. about. He's a pretty good little actor there. I like that guy. And then the... Uh, monologue i was referring to is when he's telling the kids what he's going to do to their fa- his family or their families if you know they he doesn't do or if those kids don't do what he tells them to do uh i kind of like that i liked the the way they dealt with that character the whole reversal of him and how he convinces the kids to help him and then they don't have to show mm-hmm. him upending the kids they just show the after effect of it so i thought that was really well shot that character was probably the handled very well more are better than uh, the Karen Mannheim or Cameron Mannheim character, I thought. But uh, yeah, no, I I thought all of that stuff was done well. The shootout didn't bother me a whole lot, other than Kevin Bacon coming back to life. And that was post shootout. Yeah, I mean he's taken four or five bullets to the chest, and then we have this obligatory car chase in a straight line. Why can't you set up a a scene? with him having a uh, uh, vest on. And then it becomes a little bit more believable. Yeah, I mean, or, I, or even just have him take, like, one bullet or something. Yeah, in the fleshy in the fleshy part of his yeah, tie. The, or, the four or five. Um, nah. Well, that's a trope. I well, mean, that's, the, that's the, the evil guy returns at the end of the movie trope, you know. Yeah, and then we're going to have this uh, uh, chase without any car lights on. Because these kids really don't know how to operate a car. And that was something that was bothering me the whole film. But I I couldn't remember. I I was trying to think back on my past, I should say. When did I kind of understand how a car operated? And understand that a car is going to keep rolling forward if you have it in drive. 
but you have to keep your foot on the brake. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I assume about the age of 10. I, I mean, my grandpa let me drive the tractor, so I understood the mechanisms of steering and stuff. Yeah. I would sit on his lap and drive the tractor. And kind of we were expected to be able to drive the truck around at a fairly young age. I think that you could, pretty sure my uncles were allowed to drive. They had like a farmer's license. You could start driving at like 13. Because hmm. I remember being jealous because I had to wait for a learner's permit till I was 15 in, in where state I was living in, like North Carolina or something. And they had already been driving for, for 20 years or whatever. So I think it's pretty young for a farmer's license. But yeah, I, I don't know. But they had to kind of set the, those guys up as neophytes. And mm-hmm. It was the same thing with the gun and the safety on it. That was that's where they lost it on tone. That whole scene where they're, I mean, it it could have worked a little bit better. The guy like puts on the vest and he's standing there. Like, didn't you want to see him like just ping him, just shoot him in the chest? No, because then you would have. Well, it would have gone right through that. I mean, he had AK forty seven, right? It was it was a it was an assault rifle. Yeah, yeah, I think some uh, some variation of the AR fifteen. That would have gone right through that kid. It would have gone right through that. I don't know what type of bulletproof vest he had. Come on. If it, it a ten year old kid couldn't wear a bulletproof vest that would hold back that kind of like semi automatic weapon. I have no idea. Would have blown a hole through him this <laughs> the size of a toilet bowl. <laughs> so Well then then you do the scene with one of the handguns. But I would have liked to see one of the kids get shot and <laughs> fall down. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, dude, your turn. Yeah, I don't know. That's the other thing, when they were looking at the car early on. Just, uh, just like to didn't. be clear, I don't want children getting hurt in movies. Yeah, you do. But I do want some comedy. Yeah, you that's do. physical. You, uh, when they were when they were originally, they were afraid to even touch the car, mm-hmm. and then they wind up, you know, driving off in it at 100 miles an hour. So that was a little bit. I don't know. I, I was able to sort of accept it, but when they were like trolling around it, looking in through the windows, they didn't notice the weapons on the trunk you know on the back seat of the car it's like they picked that up halfway through their ride mm-hmm. that didn't make any sense to me because the first thing that i think that a kid would have done if they thought they could have got away with it start messing around with those guns as opposed to the car but i mean again you would have had to change the whole movie around i didn't like either how they handled the uh transition from i mean they had to go back in time to show the setup of kevin bacon's character the the sheriff to sort of put the cop car in that spot where they could find it. I thought that was a little ham fisted. It's weird because that sort of stuff doesn't work too well in movies, like you just said. But in a novel, it's perfectly fine to have multiple character storylines encompassing the same uh, period of time. You, you... So, like to go back and you know follow another character and then go and see another one. That's fine in novels to do. But like you said, in movies, we want time to move along at a constant rate. I think they could have done it more effectively than the way they chose to do it. Like, I, I think you could have shown, this is just, I'm off the top of my head, and obviously you got to talk about the movie as it exists, but you could have set up the geography of that location by having overhead shots intercut with where they were at different times, and you could see how far he had to drag that body away from the car and where those kids were in relation to him as they're walking up to the car. And then you could kind of get a judgment as to how far away he is and why he didn't notice them starting up the car and driving off. Yeah, but don't you like the mystery aspect that 
you find this car along with the kids. We're not sure why it's there. We don't see Kevin Bacon for the first 20 minutes of the film. You give up a little of the reveal, but I think that, I mean, I don't know. It's a trade-off. Yeah. So, I like the ambiguity of it. I think this had very good use of ambiguity. You don't know why Kevin Bacon is the way he is. And you don't know there are two bodies in the car. Right. Right. In fact, I was kind of irritated because as I was renting the as I was renting the thing on DirecTV, the blurb comes up and I as I you know, I read, I told you how I read, I don't see the individual words. I kind of see them all at once. So, you know, a sentence mm-hmm. a, a description of the movie was two 10-year-old boys steal a cop car that has a trunk in the body. And I was like, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> because that is sort of how the movie turns around on itself. And it makes it, I mean, it makes it an effective story because him chasing after these kids would have been kind of boring without that twist. And mm-hmm. I knew that the twist was coming, so... I mean, you kind of understood that he needed to get his car back so that he could have an alibi... Because he couldn't explain where he was when he lost the car. Right. But, there is a dead body close by. Oh, that's and, why he starts dumping out all his cocaine. Yeah. But going into the movie as an audience, I had no idea about that. And I was, you know, there were questions that were raised by the conceit of mm-hmm. kids in a cop car. I'm like, all right, well, how, how far are you going to go with this? Because are they going to, like, drive around? And obviously, they have to be out in the desert. I mean, I didn't know that at the time. I'm like, how does this happen? Like, I could see it happening given my experience as a as a lad when we stole the land mover but uh i just I, it having that question answered for me and then at least there was a little bit of a reversal when there were two bodies in the trunk but you saw that i think when he pulled out the second the first body just didn't know he was alive when he oh, pulled okay. out the first body i think i saw a second body in there i was just i guess i was just irritated with the with the description and the plot for direct tv so that's I can't right. warn anybody not to read it because they've already watched the movie where they're listening to the spoiler section. So. Yeah. Why do you think Kevin Bacon decided to do this film? I don't know. I, I, I think I read an interview with him where he's he's just interested in making... In, as many movies as possible. No, because he doesn't really have a great deal of movies. He just does things that are interesting to him. He's He's not interested necessarily in being... He wants to make his living as an actor, and he makes a pretty good living. Mm-hmm. But he's not... He doesn't care if it's commercial or not necessarily. I think it's just the experience. I don't know what what you seem to have an answer. No, to that I, I didn't. I, you know, I was just watching this. I thought, yeah, it's pretty up and coming director. Doesn't have a whole lot. The script is interesting. Is he a producer in this movie? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised though if he got a producer credit in this film. Um, no, I just I, I do like that he makes choices that he finds interesting because he always seems vested in the films he does he doesn't ever seem to just be doing it for a paycheck you know just going through the motions there are some other actors who i feel that about quite a bit um vince vaughn especially with some of the comedies he does mm-hmm. i feel like you know it's just it's a paycheck film jennifer aniston same thing there seems to be a bit difference when you know she has a movie she's really excited about cake was one mm-hmm you know, she really seemed to enjoy doing that and wanted it quite a bit. Well, Kevin Bacon is not a he's a, he's a character actor. I mean, he's not a leading man necessarily. He, he yeah, he has seems... lead roles like this. You could say he's the lead actor in this, but it's not necessarily his story. 
but he was a lead actor in the 80s. He seems to have gone away from that. He seems really? to prefer these character parts. I always kind of see him playing against someone else. Footloose, Quicksilver. Footloose. He said, aside. she said. But there's the she in that part. I'm thinking of movies like um, A Few Good Men. I guess in The Woodsman, he was probably the main focus mm -hmm. of that. But he's going spe spectacularly creepy in that movie. He plays a pedophile. But Mystic River, Apollo 13, even Murder in the First, Sleepers, all those movies, X-Men, First Class, mm -hmm. he's a, a supporting role. Super, he's a supporting role. And those are, I think, his better movies. Like, I don't know. I, I know that you have a, a, a warm place in your heart for Footloose, which I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not convinced that this is a, a reality as opposed to an affectation, but I have a poster in here. Yeah, in, in, in the the recording studio. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at it right now, and it's glorious. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I don't know what it gained you though. That's the only reason that I that I'm willing to accept that this might be one of your top movies of all time because it doesn't really gain anything for you. It just shows a level of quirkiness that. That exists. I mean, do I really have any popular picks for movies in this room? Uh, the Untouchables, I guess. Uh, yeah, The Hustler. Come on. Yeah, but even that shot, it's not considered one of the more iconic shots. And then that goes well with the Carlitos Way poster, because apparently I have a thing for shots from movies in black and white featuring famous actors playing pool. It's okay. a very specific collection. <laughs> yes. Uh... Backdraft was popular at the time. At the time, but I mean, maybe we should do a show just of the movies uh, that's that adorn the Flying Bull production. I would studios. love to talk about Backdraft or uh, To Live and Die in L.A. Is this a uh, is this something that you picked up from? What was that television show with the Sherlock Holmes type thing? Where the oh House, where uh, who's his friend in Wilson. House? Wilson always has those movie posters behind him. No, they change they... from show to show. I think you should shift these things up every once in a while. Every time I come over here, there should be oh, some of these are really expensive poster. posters. Really? Uh, yeah, the To Live and Die in L.A. poster is an original copy. Okay. So, how much? Uh, when I bought it, it was like 80 but it was a wow. $200 poster. At least $200. Wow. And then the stupid person uh, folded it up to send it to me. Brilliant. Yeah, they don't know how to ship a poster. <laughs> <sighs> pains me now how did this person get that poster i wonder if they're having if they're such a neophyte in terms of shipping oh ha huh. did man. you did you write them back hey man oh i was very mad on ebay i mean they offered to refund my money but the problem was i wanted the poster right there were no reprints at the time and is it ruined anything else would be like two or three hundred bucks no i mean it's, it's fine mm. i just have to consider it character that's okay. been added to the poster well that's like edvard munch's uh scream mm-hmm I told you this story. It got stolen. And I guess he had four different versions of that famous painting of the guy you know, screaming. Mm -hmm. uh, they found it, brought it back to him after 25 years or so. And he got mad. The artist got mad at the detectives that brought it back to him because he said the painting was living its own life. And <laughs> you took it away from him. Apparently it was like in, the, in a shed somewhere. <laughs> so not much of a life, really. <laughs> All right, so, so we both recommend Cop Car. Oh yeah, 
All right. Uh, next week, are we doing modern westerns? Yeah, I think we're going to do a modern western show. You wanted to talk about Slow West. You finally got around to watching it. Got around to watching Slow West. Um, there are a couple other westerns that I need to go and watch. Yeah, you should check out uh, Salvation that came out this year. I yeah, saw Salvation, that. and I may try and revisit The Proposition. I never got through that one back in the day. Yeah, I want to look at that. And if you haven't seen um, The Homesman, you might want to check that out. So, yeah, I've got some homework for this week. But next week we'll do Modern Westerns, and it's everything post-1995, so the last 20 years. I think we're going to put the cutoff date at 1995. It's going to leave out a lot of good movies. We'll talk about that next week, right? So that'll be episode 76. Wow. This is episode 44, and I guess we're closing up. 74. That's what I just said. Yeah, you said 44. Oh. 74. It's a good number. All right, this is episode 74. We're closing up. Speaking of Footloose, Kevin Bacon said about that horrible movie, for the next 12 years of my life, every time I'd go to a wedding, bar mitzvahs, or a club, the disc jockey would put that song on, at which point people would form a circle around me and start to clap in unison, expecting me to start flipping and performing tricks like a trained monkey. I've gotten to the point where I'll go up to the guy and I'll say, here's 20 bucks, don't play that song. So for Mr. Two Frame sitting over there, it's been a pleasure. I'm the L Train. Pox at Bonham, everybody. There be dragons.
You ready? You haven't coughed yet. <coughs> yeah, good. Does that work for you? <coughs> now I have something on my throat. <laughs> nice. I'm coughed up one. <coughs> mm, tasty. <laughs>